LePage's fate. While some new Republicans have emerged to express their dismay, it's unclear if they have the collective desire to get rid of him. For NPR News, I'm Steve Missler in Augusta, Maine. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi members of Congress weigh in on Donald Trump, immigration, and where state voters stand. How do you make your borders secure? How do you make sure that you know who's coming in is a good person to have come into this country? We've always had, you know, a country that's open to people that come in from other countries. That's that's who we are. It's a part of our fabric. Then legal troubles for the city of Jackson in the wake of a sexual harassment lawsuit against Mayor Tony Yarber. Later, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on acne. And a new program gets financial aid to ambitious high school students. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump is traveling to Mexico today to meet with President Enrique Peña Nieto. This is before his speech tonight to provide details about his immigration plan. Stemming the flow of migrants from Mexico has been a cornerstone of Trump's campaign. U.S. Congressman Greg Harper, a Republican, says Trump is addressing an issue voters think the Obama administration isn't confronting. Trump talks about building a wall on the border of Mexico and the United States. Harper tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, whatever is done, the country has to tighten its borders. He expects to hear that in Trump's speech tonight. You know, I would think it would be very consistent uh, with what he's been saying, and we'll we'll see when he makes that speech to to be sure. Obviously, there's uh, there's an issue of, I believe, national security. We we have a problem, not really with what uh, we're dealing with today, but what we'll be dealing with in the future. How do you make your borders secure? How do you make sure that you know who's coming in is a good person to have come into this country? We've always had the you know, a country that's open to people that come in from other countries. That's that's who we are. It's a part of our fabric. But those people have also been involved in being a, an important part of the country. For instance, this administration's pretty much given an open door for Syrian refugees, which they say have been fully vetted. Well, explain to me how you can fully vet someone that has no identifiable background. It's not like it is in America where if you want to know a person's background, you can go back and find their day, you know, daycare and elementary school records all the way up and work history and everything else that's there. That's not the case uh, with what's coming in from Syria. So, And then how are they tracked after they're here? How do you keep up with them? They're not kept up with. And so uh, you know, that's, that's part of the problem we have right now is we have a problem with fundamentalist Islamic terrorists around the country that have already said they will seek to use the refugee process to come in, and they, they don't mean any good for our country. So these are why uh, th- we feel like, most people feel like this has been ignored by the administration, and, and I think that's one reason Donald Trump has been very successful on getting support, uh, because he is standing up for making sure the country's safe. 
He has talked about softening his stance a little bit. He hasn't talked as much about the wall between U.S. and Mexico as he has in the past. Uh, he hasn't talked about keeping Muslims out of the country. Some of that rhetoric has offended people. How do you feel about that? His statement about Muslims was not a forever uh, ban. I mean, the way he said it, it certainly didn't come across uh, very good, and it's easy to see why some would have been uh, offended by that. But the point was right now calling a timeout while we figure out the vetting process. I think he meant that in a reasonable way. Uh, it probably got turned around a little bit. But uh, as far as the wall is concerned, whether it's a wall or whether it's just using the technology that we have to monitor the borders, we, this is something that we have to do for our national security because we know that not everyone who's coming across the border is just trying to find a better job to support their family. There are people that are coming in to infiltrate, to be a part of uh, something that would be a terrorist attack. So you have to guard against that. Well, the only way you can do that is to do appropriate security on the border. And that's, that's I think, important to most Americans to do that. I don't believe that, uh, that Trump's ever had a plan that said, we're going to pick up 12 million people and send them uh, out of the country, 11 million. But the, the point is for the future. How are we going to deal with the future? So we'll listen to his immigration plan, see how that plays out. But it's certainly better than a plan, or excuse me, no plan that the current administration has that fails to enforce the laws that are on the books. We'd go a long ways if we were just enforcing the laws that we already have. We don't need a bunch of new laws. We just need to enforce what we have. What about um, the comments that he's made that have offended people, ethnic comments? and Well, the comments that offend me are the ones out of a secretary of state who says that the Benghazi incident was because of a video at the same time she's sending an email to her daughter saying it was a terrorist attack and four Americans die in that attack that she's yet to really be truthful about what happened, that she's had classified information on a server in her, in her house I can guarantee you, if I had classified information in my house on a, on a server that I was emailing in and out, uh, I'd be in jail. And now to see what the Clinton Foundation has been doing, nobody wants to get their feelings hurt, but we're comparing one nominee who's maybe hurt some feelings versus someone who cannot be trusted by this country. This is a clear and easy choice, and we know that this election is really going to be about who's going to appoint the next Supreme Court justice. And where we go there is what I think people will have to look past the personalities. There are no perfect candidates. Uh, we know. What about in diplomatic situations? That's a concern. Well, the concern we have is obviously in that situation, you've got to make sure you've got good people in place. Is he going to show the leadership to put good people to be in Secretary of State's role, in the Attorney General's uh, position? Uh, he's already shown that he will do that, I believe, by the fact that he gave a list of 11 possible Supreme Court justices that are all very good. And he's selecting Mike Pence as his running mate. Now, my first four years in the House were Mike Pence's last four years. We were in a Bible study group together, and, and just he's a, just a class act. And I remember my first few months when I was wondering, okay, did I vote the way I was supposed to vote? Well, Mike Pence was my bell cow. You know, in Mississippi, we know the bell cow is the lead cow that's got the bell and all the other cows follow. So those first few months, 
If I wasn't sure, I'd look up on the board, and if I had voted the same as Mike Pence, I knew I was okay because I knew he would never lead us off the cliff. So Trump has already shown the ability to say, okay, yeah, I may have my my moods or my statements or I may say things that are off the cuff, but he's shown the wherewithal and the maturity to show I'm going to select good Supreme Court justices, and I can tell you I've already picked a good running mate. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Congressman Greg Harper. U.S. Senator Roger Wicker is also a Republican. He tells Desiree Fraser he supports Trump and the candidate's message resonates with voters in the state. I was a Trump delegate to the National Convention. Uh, I, I cast my own ballot in the primary, but once the nomination was secured, I felt that I should come out and support the Republican nominee. And, and uh, as chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, uh, I, I spoke at the National Convention and made it clear that I'm voting for Donald Trump. Now, my, my main extra duty this election year, in addition to trying to be the best senator I possibly can for Mississippi, is to be chairman of the NRSC. So my main focus is on uh, retaining the Senate for my Republican Party in the November election. Uh, there are 34 Senate seats in play this year, roughly one-third of the Senate. 24 of those 34 are Republicans. So we have a lot of, of seats to defend. The Democrats have only 10 seats to defend. So we, we have a, a, a tough, challenging uh, scenario for the next 10 weeks, but we feel good about it. We're getting some good news today uh, from some polls uh, around the country in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Uh, I think we'll have good news in the primaries this week in, in Arizona and Florida. So that is my main focus because my colleagues elected me to be chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. How can he help Mississippi? What can he do for the state? I think Mississippi is uh, is going to stay firmly in the Republican column. And, and, and I think what Mississippians want, uh, I think the Make America Great Again slogan is, is something that resonates with Mississippians. They, they see that we've, uh, we've had eight years of drawing red lines, and when those lines are crossed, it turns out that, uh, well, we just want to maybe move that red line or disregard the fact that we've made a flat statement. Uh, I think they want America to be that preeminent shining city on a hill internationally that we looked for under uh, Ronald Reagan. And, and so uh, I think that's what a Trump presidency can do. I think also, and I may talk about this to the, uh, to, to the Madison County group of job creators today, I think the flood, the massive load of regulations coming down on small business people can be lifted under under a uh, Trump presidency and, uh, and and really sort of free up the job creators. That's what these people want to do. They want to have enough flexibility and, and um, enough freedom to uh, to expand their business, maybe add a few tables to their restaurant or add another warehouse and create jobs for Mississippians. So the lack of regulations, I think, would be... Uh, uh, w- would be something that a Republican administration would definitely move towards. He's been criticized for remarks that have been seen as offensive, um, speaking to white groups about African Americans, building a wall between uh, the United States and Mexico, not al- al- allowing Muslims into the country. How do you feel about these statements and his ability to deal with immigration issues? 
And well, anybody okay. who becomes president has got to deal with ISIS. Our, our immigration system is broken and needs to be fixed. And I think you would, you would hear acknowledgement of that from, uh, from everyone from uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama to uh, everyone running as a Republican. Frankly, in the first two years of Barack Obama's administration, when he had 60 votes at his disposal in the United States Senate and Nancy Pelosi setting the total agenda in, uh, in the House, uh, the president made no move to fix the broken immigration system. I have supported for years, long before Donald Trump ever suggested running for anything as a Republican, I've supported the idea of a fence. I think a, a nation is entitled to protect its own borders. And, uh, and so I, I have supported that concept. I do think a lot of our immigration uh, violation occurs from stayovers. And so that needs to be addressed, too. It's not all people coming across from Mexico. On the broader issue, though, I do recommend to the Trump campaign that they talk about things they want to talk about on a given week or on a given day, that they stay with the message. You know, I've run for office at the state and federal level, congressional and, and Senate on a statewide basis. And you often want to respond to things that are said about you if you're in office and you're running for things. Uh, but I've always found the better thing to do is you don't have to respond to every single thing. Stay on the message that you believe resonates and gives the voters a clear choice of making a distinction between you and your opponent. And I think if Mr. Trump uh, can get back to that and have a, uh, a little more disciplined message. We'll see these polls, which I noticed today, have shrunk. I think we'll see them closing. The morning news had uh, Secretary Clinton, I believe, six points ahead of Mr. Trump. So that is a doable race this week before Labor Day. There's a lot of campaigning to go, and so we'll see. MPB's Desiree Fraser with U.S. Senator Roger Wicker. In other news, the Jackson City Council will seek outside legal representation to defend the state's largest municipality in a sexual harassment suit against Mayor Tony Yarber. MPB's Paul Boger has this report. The lawsuit, filed in federal court by a former executive assistant to the mayor, alleges he created a sexually hostile workplace. The suit also claims city employees went to out-of-state fundraising parties with strippers. The Jackson City Council spent nearly four hours yesterday trying to determine how they will handle the lawsuit. Council Vice President Margaret Barrett-Simone says the city will contract with an outside attorney to represent the city and the city alone. We are hiring outside counsel not only to represent the interests of this council, but to represent the interests of the taxpayers of the city. And uh, this involves the mayor not at all as far as representation. We want to make that clear. Mayor Tony Yarber was conspicuously absent from yesterday's meeting. In a statement, the mayor says he had a scheduling conflict, but did indicate that he has already hired private lawyers. For some members of the council, like Ward 4's DeKeither Stamps, Yarber's absence was unacceptable. I believe that with the situation of this gravity and weight, that the city attorney and the mayor would be present to discuss them issues both to us and to the people of Jackson. They will notice this meeting, and I think it's a slap in the face for their presence not to be here. Mayor Tony Yarber has denied all of the allegations listed in the suit. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a health minute from Dr. Rick DeShazo on acne. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
A 26-year-old Marine comes home to his family from fighting in Afghanistan. Within three years, he kills himself. The VA recommended that he go through PTSD testing, but he did not. Because he skipped that testing, his family's not getting much help from the government. Amari Shapiro, the case of Lance Corporal Stephen Koning, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Acne is a condition that affects teenagers and young adults most commonly, but it can persist into adulthood. And we're seeing lots of school kids, now that school's back in session, coming in concerned about their appearance because of active acne. This condition is caused by hormones that increase the amount and viscosity of what's called sebum, S-E-B-U-M, a waxy material that moisturizes the skin. Because of the increased viscosity, these oil ducts get plugged up and swell up, and they can get infected. Acne severity depends on what type of lesions are present and how much skin is affected. Most cases of acne can be successfully treated, but even with proper medication use, it may take up to two months to see improvement. Mild acne can be treated with over-the-counter medications, but severe acne will require a prescription. So what we suggest is using benzoyl peroxide-containing preparations as a place to start. These desquamate the skin, and they have to be applied every day, and the skin has to have a little bit of a fuzz on it for them to work. If that doesn't work, then you've got to see the doctor for a prescription. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The conventions are over, candidates have been nominated, and with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. A 26-year-old Marine comes home to his family from fighting in Afghanistan. Within three years, he kills himself. The VA recommended that he go through PTSD testing, but he did not. Because he skipped that testing, his family's not getting much help from the government. Amari Shapiro, the case of Lance Corporal Stephen Koning, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A pilot program is giving high school students who take college-level classes at two Mississippi institutions access to federal Pell Grants for the first time. Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College is one of the 44 higher education institutions chosen accessing the pilot program. Jackson State University is also participating in the pilot program. Carmen Walters helps oversee enrollment at the community college. She tells MPB's Evelina Burnett there's a great benefit to students taking college-level courses while in high school. 
The Department of Education Federal Student Aid Division put out a request for proposals to to participate in their experimental sites initiative, which would allow high school students who are taking dual enrolled classes to apply, fill out the FAFSA, and apply for financial aid. They have to meet all of the qualifications that all other students have to meet to qualify for federal aid. And it's an experimental program that will be available to, was available to community colleges and universities. Uh, how, do, how, do, how does it work now if a high school student wants to take community college classes? They just have to pay the tuition? They have to pay the tuition, buy their books, and a lot of the schools or actually the community colleges and universities um, have set prices that they charge high school students uh, for tuition. Do you find that cost is a factor in preventing some high school students from taking college classes? Sure. And parents, you know, they're looking for scholarships for their students. So if they could wait another year, let's say I'm a senior in high school and I can wait two more semesters and get a full ride with a scholarship, it may help me to think closely about whether I should start taking those classes now. So cost can be a challenge, although some colleges are very flexible and they have very, uh, we, we feel that we are one with our dual enrollment, dual credit programs that we have very good pricing. So, but for some schools, I'm sure it's a challenge. What do you feel is the benefit of taking college classes while in high school? If, like you were saying, you know, they might be able to take them virtually for free you know, as a... There's a great benefit. Um, First of all, the rigor for students to know when I graduate from high school, the college work is going to be different. So the earlier you can introduce them to that environment, the better prepared they will be to persist through uh, college. So we know that getting students started earlier plays a huge role in student success and persistence. The other piece is introducing them to that environment slowly. So when you are a high school student, you're going to take one or two dual credit courses. You got You still have some time at your high school, but you have a little time at the community college, so it helps you adjust versus just starting straight out of high school, right into that environment. You haven't been exposed to how it works. There's a huge advantage to doing dual enroll, dual credit courses. Do you know in this pilot program, what are some of the things they're going to be looking at? Well, I think that was the goal of the program is to increase participation uh, by high school students starting dual enrollment, dual credit, giving them that option, taking away a barrier. Uh, So offering financial aid to them is uh, a way to remove barriers and give students the opportunity to experience that dual credit, dual enroll environment. Do you think that, um, you know, because there might be financial aid offered, that the cost of these dual enrollment programs may go up? Well, no, that was the that was a part of the experimental program is that you had to tell the uh, Department of Education what your tuition costs are right now. And then you have to prove to them that this is what you will charge the students so there will be no gouging of the system or anything like that. 
MPB's Evelina Burnett with Carmen Walters of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. In tomorrow's book club, college football is underway this week. We'll talk to the author of a new book about Mississippi's first football family, the Mannings. So you got to go back to the beginning. So I dug deep into Archie as a child in Drew. He had perfect attendance at Sunday school. And he viewed those pins that he got for his attendance at Sunday school as a competition. That's tomorrow in our book club. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Fix It 101, Everyday Tech, and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio.